0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, October 25th, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. It can't be said enough. When you give a power to the government, your ideological opponents will try to use it to target you. And it's not a new facet of politics, but it's expressing itself in new ways. Cato's Paul Matzko discusses some of the history of when politicians have tried to crack down on a free press. A fear that I have harbored for some time, which is a bipartisan effort to hand to some large federal agency the power to make determinations about the relative responsibility of news outlets, about making determinations. About what is true and false, and having some sort of sanction follow that determination. And it appears to begin uh, the, the beginning of that fear being realized is here.
1: Yeah, you're not wrong, Caleb. So there's a small progressive group called the Media and Democracy Project, which has sued or has basically alleged that a Fox News affiliate in Philadelphia, Fox 29, for our Philadelphia listeners is up for a license renewal. So broadcast stations are licensed by the Federal Communications Commission, the FCC, and they have to renew that every couple of years. This is different from cable or other forms of broadcasting that are not licensed by the federal government. And so they have challenged that license renewal and said, because Fox News, the cable channel, lied about the 2020 election, its affiliate, its broadcast TV affiliate should have its license removed for news distortion, for making up stuff about the news, or about you know about what was happening in, in the election. And this has been joined by Bill Kristol, the former editor of the Weekly Standard, never Trump conservative, who blames Fox News for helping boost Trump into the White House. And so I suspect that the margins, this is a way of settling old scores. But it's a bipartisan, it's progressive conservative signing on to this effort to deny this license renewal. And what's striking to me is that there is just clear writing on the wall about why this is a terrible idea and why everyone should know better. And that takes the form of a recent Donald Trump tweet. A truth. Well, I guess not a tweet. A uh, Donald Trump truth. A truth. The uttered a truth. And and I'll, I'll, the relevant part here is he said, when I win the presidency of the United States, they and others of the lame stream media will be thoroughly scrutinized for their knowingly dishonest and corrupt coverage of people, things, and events. Why would NBC or any of the other corrupt and dishonest media companies be entitled to use the very valuable airwaves of the USA free? They are a true threat to democracy, and in fact, all caps, the enemy of the people. So what he's saying here is that, you know, if when I'm president, I would like that these broadcast stations that are you know licensing or are borrowing access to the spectrum um, to be scrutinized for telling falsehoods about me. Now, those aren't actually falsehoods, right? They're like the, the the reporting on the election is actually uh, you know pretty good that you know Donald Trump was trying to to steal the election using claims of election fraud. But from Donald Trump's perspective, that was fake news. That was the false line, right? And so what we're setting up is a situation if this. Bipartisan push to remove a license renewal from this Fox News affiliate uh, was allowed to go through. We're setting up a situation in which news truth, the falsity or truthfulness of the news becomes a political football. When Donald Trump is in office, he removes broadcast licenses from affiliates when they cover him in ways he finds to be untrue, i.e., make him look bad. When a different president, when the Biden administration is in office, they, remove, they they scrutinize broadcast licenses for those that make his administration look bad, and that is a disaster for free speech and civil liberties.
0: And, and this is, to be clear for the benefit of our audience, this is not at all unprecedented. There are historic episodes of presidents in particular wanting to make use of federal power and specifically FCC licensing to punish people who say nasty things about them.
1: Yeah, my book about the radio right, published a couple of years ago by uh, Oxford University Press, deals with another one of these. It's it's a cluster of regulations rooted in what's called the public interest uh, justification for regulation of the airwaves. And it's a very vague, inchoate standard. And so you can basically say, like, yes, normally this kind of regulation would be a constitutional violation. But because this is the airwaves, because there's scarcity, we can justify this regulation because it's in the public interest, whatever that means. And one of those was the Fairness Doctrine. And the idea was that the news coverage should be kept fair. And what the Kennedy administration did was they said, well, we'll keep it fair whenever the other side criticizes the Kennedy administration. And of course, any pro-Kennedy administration stuff is totally copacetic. This is kind of like that. It's called the News Distortion Standard. And it's less well known. I mean, a lot of folks will have heard of the Fairness Doctrine. News distortion standard, more obscure. It was never really enforced when it was invented in the late 1960s. It was rarely invoked since. And if it actually, like if this actually went to the court system, which I think it would if the FCC denied the license renewal, it almost certainly will fall on First Amendment grounds after years of litigation. So it can still have a chilling effect, even if it fails. But this news distortion standard is just as pernicious as the Fairness Doctrine. The funny thing is, it was invented by congressional Democrats. In in 1968, those who are old enough to remember the student demonstrations outside of the DNC, the the National Convention that summer, the students pressing against the police lines, chanting, the whole world is watching. Well, if you're a Democratic congressperson, you don't like the way the news is being framed. It makes you look bad. It makes you look like the bad guys that, you know, the cops are out here beating up students who are accusing you of being anti-democratic because you're picking Uh, Humphrey instead of, you know, Eugene McCarthy, the anti-war candidate.
0: Yeah, not a great set of facts for elite Democrats in 1968.
1: No, so it's a rough information landscape for them at the time. So what do you do? You can't deny that's what's happening. So what you do is you play the refs, you work the refs. And so the FCC invents this thing called news distortion. And a bunch of Congress people allege that they see, uh, I'll use the words of one of them, a girl hippie with a bandage on her head, go up to the police and say, stop hitting me, please stop hitting me. In other words, they were alleging that there were crisis actors, that everything you're seeing in 68, none of that's real. It's just paid crisis actors pretending that there's police brutality, which is ludicrous from the, you know, historically uh, we know now, but you can see why that's useful if you're a pro-war Democratic congressperson in 68. And so, in other words, the news distortion standard was an attempt to distort the news, (laughs) right? That's the origin. And there's other examples, like there was a uh, local Chicago TV station did a report on uh, Northwestern University students holding a pot party. And, you know, the university said, our honorable students would never do something so vile as smoke that Mary Jane. Therefore, this must be news distortion. So they filed a news distortion complaint with the FCC Because, oh, no, yeah, college students are notorious for not smoking marijuana. So, again, you can see how this was a way of managing reputation. It was PR massaging rather than an actual attempt at truth and news. And and that's why this is so, you know, again, folks on the left should be aware of how this was abused to silence the radical left, the anti-war left. That's its roots. And folks on the right, like Bill Kristol. Who should be well aware of the use of the Fairness Doctrine and other public interest regulations to silence right wing radio speech in the 1960s and 70s should steer far clear from giving the FCC that kind of truth induced power again.
0: And there was a, uh, I guess, not a particularly effective attempt in the 80s and 90s to make use of the Fairness Doctrine to punish radio folks on the right like Rush Limbaugh.
1: Yeah. So, you know, in 87, there's some debate. The FCC. Formally repeals the fairness doctrine, and both uh, there's a bipartisan effort to uh, actually Congress votes. They vote to reinstate the fairness doctrine. Ronald Reagan vetoes it because Ronald Reagan was an expert user of the radio. It's an underrated that his his radio show viewpoint underrated role in his election victory in 1980. So he got he understood the power of radio, the importance of free speech. So he vetoes it. But people forget uh, Phyllis Schlafly. And a variety of Democratic Congress people were in support of congressional reinstatement of the uh, fairness doctrine, and it almost happened. Were it not for Ronald Reagan,
0: so I think the context here is helpful because in the the radio days when the fairness doctrine reigned, somebody had to make determinations about what qualified as you know public interest programming, and they had to make determinations about. The partisan bent of speakers on the radio, because, you know, if you want fairness, it has to be balanced. In order for it to be balanced, we have to decide what side you're on when you speak on the radio. And so it's just difficult to get your head around the idea that there are going to be, if if this goes through humans or AI programs, that will be making determinations about whether or not what you're saying is true.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a bunch of unelected lawyers in the windowless room in an office building in Washington, D.C., responding to political, you know, partisan political incentives. And both sides are going to be tempted to abuse that power. And the process is somewhat insulated from public view. I mean, how often does Joe Blow American follow hearings of the Federal Communications Commission. It would be kind of insulated from democratic accountability in that way. So it, it would be right for abuse. And that's generally true. I mean, I, one of the things I get a lot is why is this possible with radio and television when it's unthinkable in... like it, You can imagine if, if the government proposed that we should fact-check the New York Times and punish them when they publish lies there would be an immediate uproar. Like, no, that's freedom of speech. You can't do that to newspapers. But why why can this be kind of proposed somewhat plausibly in broadcasting? And that's because we have a two-tier system of free speech in the United States. There's relative free speech for print and there is much less free speech. There's, you know, unfree speech for broadcasting. That's because of these decisions going all the way back to the 1920s and 1930s. But the government is able to impinge upon the First Amendment to a much greater extent um, on, on radio and television. And you can kind of see that here. So we're having this fight that seems, you know, ludicrous, I, I think, to us today, in a broadcasting context that would is unthinkable in a in a print newspaper kind of context.
0: Paul Matsko is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please. And thank you for listening.